Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Well, good morning. Yeah, it is good to see you all together here. Uh, I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving, and now we are kind of right smack in the middle of Christmas season, man. Uh, on Friday, my family, we decorated for Christmas, but I'm just kind of curious, um, how many of you already decorated your houses for Christmas even before Thanksgiving? Just show of hands. Or, or how many of you have been listening to Christmas music for weeks now? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, well, now that you've identified yourself, our security team is going to be coming and we're going to ask you a few questions because clearly you're not in your right mind. No, uh, so yeah, weeks ago, my eldest asked, can we listen to Christmas music? And I screamed, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. And she screamed back, so? Which is a point I had not considered. Um, <laughs> Touche. Uh, but uh, we love this season, right? That's pretty obvious. We love this season and we look forward to it with great anticipation, don't we? And we're excited to be starting our new Advent series uh, that we're calling Home for the Holy Days, which is really not much of a play on words, is it, right? Holiday is derived from the Old English, and it means holy day. That's what it means, right? It is a day that is set apart from other days. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart. And God, in history, institutes holidays. In his role as king over the nation of Israel, he institutes holidays, and he commands his people to celebrate. He commands them to throw a party. It says things like this in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 13. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns, for seven days celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete." Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. So God institutes these holidays, and he commands them to gather together at a particular place to celebrate, kind of like what we're doing here. These are pilgrimage holidays. They travel, they come together to a particular place to celebrate these holidays. The days that God himself set apart. But we don't celebrate those. Uh, no, those are not our holidays. Most of us are not Jewish. 
We're not under the old covenant. Those are not sacred days to us. Those are not holy days to us. Most of us uh, probably would struggle to point out on a calendar when those holidays took place. They're not sacred to us. And most of us would probably struggle to talk about the differences between the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Ingathering. You know, kind of similar, it kind of gets jumbled in our minds, right? These are not sacred to us. And we're not wondering if this year Starbucks and their coffee cup designs are going to be honoring the Festival of Tabernacles or not. It's not important to us. It's not sacred to us. They're not holy days to us. So the holidays that God instituted aren't particularly holy to us. And our holidays are not instituted by God. Not a single holiday in this holiday season did God ever command us to celebrate. Not one. God never decrees that we should celebrate Christmas. He never commands it. So what on earth does it mean to be a holiday? What does that even mean? What does it mean to be a holy day? Well, I want to think about that uh, by looking at different moments in Scripture in which one particular holiday was celebrated. So we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. This is what it says. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild, wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written." So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate and one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. 
Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is the festival of tabernacles or booths. It's also called the festival of ingathering. In Hebrew, it is Sukkot, which just means booth or tabernacle. And it is prescribed to them by God in his law. So for instance, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 40. This is what it says. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so here in Nehemiah, the exiles are returning back to the promised land. And they've been rebuilding the temple. They've been rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And now they are gathering together for this holiday, which probably for many of them, it's been many years since they've celebrated. And probably for a lot of them too, they haven't celebrated it ever. And so they're gathering in this assembly And they're listening to the word of God, which is customary during this holiday, and they are just weeping. But their grief starts to turn to joy. They start to celebrate this. And then we have this great line here. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. Now, I don't think that means that, that it was a different uh, method. No, I, the Israelites did celebrate. They probably did the same sorts of things. They used the same customs, the same traditions, but not with the same heart, not with the same level of joy. I think that's what it's deriving at. This is revival. It's repentance. Turning away from their sin, coming back into the promised land, coming back to Yahweh, listening to his word and allowing it to penetrate into their hearts and their souls and responding in obedience, consecrating themselves before God. That's a holy day. Many years later, we have recorded another festival of tabernacles. This one's found in John. John chapter 7, verse 1. This is what it says. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. 
For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. I'm not sure uh, which statement in this passage is the saddest. His brothers don't believe in him. They're sort of accusing him of seeking vain glory. It's kind of reminiscent of Joseph and his brothers. And they kind of say, oh, you want to be famous? Well, go to Judea. Show yourself. And John makes it very clear they are not saying that because they believe in him. So why are they saying it? One way or another, they are actively encouraging him to put himself in harm's way. How sad is that? And he would be in harm's way. Jesus says, right, the reason he doesn't want to go to Judea is because they're trying to kill him. You know, the most dangerous times in Jesus' ministry is during the holidays. They're pilgrimage holidays, a lot of them. And that forces him to go to Jerusalem, and that's the most dangerous place for him. The most dangerous times for Jesus are during the holidays, the holy days. How messed up is that? But Jesus does go. He goes in secret. He's obedient to the law. And it's kind of interesting, you know, is Jesus just, you know, changing his mind here? Or is he being shrewd in his deception? You can imagine that this would be beneficial. People are looking for him. They'll know that he has to be there. It would be great if people in the crowd were saying, oh, no, he's not here. He, he stayed in Galilee. Yeah, we heard it from his brothers. That'd be useful. But halfway through the festival, Jesus does start to teach and preach. That's what John says. And the religious leaders, they do try to seize him. But it seems that at least at that point, he had kind of won over the crowd and he's able to sort of slip past them. And then it says this in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then he says this, John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, during the festival of tabernacles, the priests would draw water from the pool of Siloam and then they would march it down to the temple and they would pour it out at the base of the altar. And on the last day of the festival, there was a special water gathering rite. And they would also set out four golden lamps with lots of golden bowls filled with oil. And the lamps set up high enough that they reached over the walls of the courts so that it was said to illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem. 
And in the midst of that, Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. I'm the living water. You're thirsty, come to me. And what's fascinating about that, and I think of note for us, is that uh, God never commands them to celebrate in that fashion. I mean, we just read the law. It doesn't say anything about a water libation ceremony. It doesn't say anything about lighting candles. No, those are purely man-made traditions. Those are purely man-made customs. But Jesus uses those man-made traditions. He uses those man-made customs to point to himself. Sort of the first century version of Jesus is the reason for the season. In fact, the Feast of Tabernacles kind of has messianic implications to it. We read in Zechariah, Zechariah is talking about the day the Lord comes to reign, and he says this, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it to the east, to the Dead Sea, and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea. In summer and in winter, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. And then it says this, verse 16. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. That's quite a statement. Those who have attacked Jerusalem, those who are antagonists of Yahweh, will come and worship him. Those who were far off will be drawn near. Those who were not a people will become the people of God. They will repent and they will turn to the living water, to the light of the world, and they will worship the King, the Lord Almighty. And that's what Jesus does for us. That's what he came to do. He came to Make, turn our repentance, uh, turn away from rebellion to repentance, to overcome our sin, to save us from ourselves. That's why he came. That's why he was born unto us. And he does that uh, even within his own family. His brothers did not believe in him, but they come to. At least some of them do. Some books of our Bible are written by them. Jude, the brother of Jesus, says this. Jude, verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. That's a meaningful statement coming from him. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And then he says this, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, that's what we mean when we say prepare him room. 
We mean let Christ reign in your hearts, or as the Apostle Peter puts it, sanctify Christ in your hearts. Observing a holiday doesn't make it holy. Apostle Paul says this, Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. The issue is the heart, not the observance. The religious leaders, they observed the holiday. They participated in the traditions and the customs. They even listened to the word of God as it was read. While they tried to kill the word made flesh. That's how John describes Jesus. Right? John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling. He tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And God says this in Isaiah, chapter 29, verse 13. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. They honor me with their holiday, but their hearts are far from me. Now they'll put up their decorations and hang their lights, but their minds are dark. They'll say words like Merry Christmas and Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But they nullify the word with their traditions. They argue about coffee cups and are indignant. But they won't drink the cup I drink. They'll give gifts, contribute to the Christmas offering. But they'll neglect justice and the love of God. They should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Well, may that never be said of us. You know, this holiday, let's celebrate like never before, like they did in Nehemiah with a spirit of revival, repenting and turning away from whatever sins may be entangling us from our worldliness or our small-mindedness, from our empty traditions and our customs and our consumerism and turning away from all temptation and coming to the light of the world, the living water the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, let us prepare him room and sanctify Christ in our hearts. Oh, come, let us adore him. 
Well, let's not let that be just empty words that we sing just because it's December. Oh, come, let us adore him. That's the invitation of Advent. Oh, come, let us adore him. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. Christ, the anointed, is Lord. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.